Welcome to the Brutecast, the flagship digital outreach platform of the Krulak Center. Inspired by its namesake, the Brute Krulak Center for Innovation and Creativity enables an interdisciplinary approach to supporting all students and faculty at Marine Corps University through complex problem solving, fostering an environment that enhances our collective warfighting capability, and facilitating and encouraging novel solutions to current and future warfighting challenges in order to expand the Corps' competitive edge and improve our warfighting effectiveness. The Brutecast is a web series that we've run for almost a year to help connect subject matter experts with Marine Corps University students to help them think about those novel solutions. We're now adapting many of our former webinars to the podcast format to help spread that knowledge even wider. We hope you enjoy this episode and all the ones to follow. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected. Good afternoon, Team Krulak community. My name is Major Ian Brown. I'm the Operations Officer at the Brute Krulak Center for Innovation and Creativity. And on behalf of Marine Corps University, the Marine Corps University Foundation, and the Krulak Center, welcome back to the Brewcast, our series designed to connect the worlds of the warfighter and PME with the best in innovative and creative thought. Before we begin, please remember that all opinions expressed here are those of the individual and do not reflect the views of the Krulak Center, Marine Corps University, the United States Marine Corps, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Uh, so today's broadcast is the first to feature an allied nation non-resident fellow. We are live from New Zealand with Sergeant Chris Ellis from the New Zealand Army Reserves, where he develops and delivers innovation training packages for the New Zealand Army's Oh, uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, Omengia program and the New Zealand Army General Staff. His course has also been added to the New Zealand Defense College curriculum. The success of these courses led Sergeant Ellis to be invited to deliver similar classes to the Royal Australian Air Force's Air Warfare Center, Combined Arms Training Center, Special Operations Command, and Australian Defense Force Academy. Chris is also an alumnus of the Stanford University Graduate School of Business, certified as a Hacking for Defense educator and is actively involved in the Lean Innovation Education Summit community. Sergeant Ellis's career also includes work in the semiconductor industry, along with contributions to the early stages of Amazon.com, where he helped enable Amazon's physical launch beyond books. As a successful entrepreneur, startup mentor, and early stage angel investor, we're excited to be able to offer his insights in today's broadcast topic of move, shoot, communicate, innovate. How might we enhance innovation and innovative thinking in the military. Awesome. Thank you, Ian. Um, before I get started, I'd like to uh, uh, say thanks to a few people. Uh, thank you, Director Valerie Jackson of the Krulak Center. Uh, thanks, Dr. Brandon uh, Valeriano. Uh, thanks again to you, Ian. Uh, also want to uh, show my appreciation to the New Zealand Army Omania program for allowing me the opportunity to explore and experiment with small team uh, military innovation. I'm currently curating handbook on small team uh, military innovation. It is my first attempt at long form publishing. Uh, so if anyone is interested in advising, contributing, or collaborating, uh, my email and my DMs are open. Let's start with two quick quiz questions that will be answered at the end of the presentation before the Q&A. The first quiz question is, what were the three innovations used by 617 Squadron, uh, the Dambuster Squadron, in their famous World War II raid? A bit of a trivia on this and a hint is that it was inspiration for the tunnel run 
that final scene in the 1977 film Star Wars, that original Star Wars movie? If you know the answers, uh, please share in the comments. So innovative thinking. Uh, the second quiz question is, what was the innovative solution the New Zealand Special Air Service used to provide mobility in Afghanistan in 2001 with only a few C-130 Hercules pallet spaces available? Hint, while the innovative solution fit inside the square of the pallets, the solution required thinking outside the box and didn't have wheels. If you know the answer or just want to take a guess, please do so in the comments. Uh, and we'll share the answers at the end of the presentation before the Q&A. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't properly attribute much of the material I'm sharing with you today. Pete Newell, Steve Blank, and Joe Felter's work on defense innovation has influenced and shaped my experience considerably. Uh, much like open source software communities built to adapt, copy, and share, much of the same applies to the innovation ecosystem they have built and led but I thought it prudent to apply broad attribution early in the presentation. Uh, bias, uh, I wanna disclose my bias here. I am an enthusiastic Hacking for Defense insurgent, uh, so apply the filter accordingly. Before we get to how, uh, how we might enhance innovation and innovative thinking in the military, let's talk about the why. Why do we need to innovate? This slide is a very heavily condensed visual I put together after watching Steve Blank's secret history of Silicon Valley talk. Steve Blank takes the viewer on a fascinating journey of how the existential need to innovate during World War II sparked what we now refer to as Silicon Valley. It includes the numerous generations of defense dominance in electronics, nuclear, microwave, satellite, integrated circuits, semiconductors, and the uniquely American concept of risk capital which we now refer to as venture capital. I highly recommend it. It's easy to find on YouTube. Uh, we'll have a link provided as well um, uh, once the video is posted. But in short, what we have seen is that in the immediate post-World War II environment and the newly initiated Cold War, military R&D was absolutely dominant as a proportion of all R&D. The United States and our coalition allies possessed overwhelming innovative R&D dominance and decisive advantage. But the rise of risk capital that we now refer to as venture capital that I mentioned previously also represented a catalyst for investment in commercial and consumer innovation, which achieved rough parity with defense investment in R&D about the time of the Berlin Wall falling. Today's situation is a mirror image of the post-World War II R&D innovation environment. Today, the commercial and consumer sectors dominate R&D innovation investment. This means that outside of a declining number of defense technology slices, much a future-focused emerging technology is a far more egalitarian competition amongst adversaries. Another way of looking at the need for defense innovation is using a continuum to represent decisive advantage. Where we once possessed persistent decisive advantage, rapidly emerging and increasingly egalitarian technology will move the needle of our existing decisive advantage from persistent to perishable. The commercial sector must search for the next business model while executing their current business models. Defense must also search for the next mission model while still executing their current mission models. In order for us to maintain decisive advantage, where it is shifting from persistent to perishable, 
the proportional allocation of resources needed to sustain the advantage will need to move the needle from executing the current to scaling the next mission model. So what determines the outcome of war? There's a quote that may or may not have been said by Charles Darwin. There's some controversy around the quote's provenance, so I wanna state that up front, but it is a really impactful quote worthy of sharing. It is not the strongest of the species to survive, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one most adaptable to change. In the last 60 years, the average lifespan of companies on the S&P 500 has declined over 70%. The decisive advantage of incumbents is being disrupted by emerging competitors leveraging more egalitarian technology. While not a great analog to defense and warfare, um, for most of human history and until the beginning of the 20th century, the outcome of war was often determined by attrition. Then the outcome of war was often determined by maneuver. Now, well into the 21st century, it appears the outcome of future war may be determined by velocity, specifically our velocity of adaptation. What is an effective perspective to view innovation? What are we talking about in terms of visualizing and articulating innovation? The McKinsey Three Horizons model of innovation has been around for 20 years. Think of it as waves on the horizon. Horizon one, uh, referred to as exploitation, would be the equivalent of the tactical level uh, in defense. That's working out to roughly zero to 12 months uh, that we'll be able to deploy a solution. Uh, this would be continuous innovation in an organization's existing mission model and core capabilities. Horizon two uh, is referred to as extension. We would view this in the military as, say, the operational level. Uh, we're looking at about a 12 to 36 month time frame uh, for deployment. This extends an organization's mission model moving beyond core capabilities. Horizon three, that's the exploration level. Uh, we'd refer to it in the military as, say, strategic level. Uh, you're looking at a 36 to 72 month uh, ballpark time frame. Uh, this is the big platforms. This is the creation of entirely new capabilities to take advantage of or respond to disruptive opportunities. The problem we have is uh, disruption of military mission models is no longer time bound. The three horizons model uh, is starting to show its age. The potentially existential risk we face is the growing opportunity and possibility for adversaries to adapt and leverage emerging technology to disrupt our exquisite trillion dollar sunk cost legacy platforms and push them along the continuum of decisive advantage towards perishable. An excellent example here is the Chinese DF-26, where it's mating an inter uh, in intermediate range ballistic missile uh, with an anti-ship guidance package and a warhead. Uh, it is spending several billion dollars to potentially disrupt several hundred billion dollars of exquisite legacy platforms. So that was the what. Now, how can we get to the how? How can we encourage more innovation and innovative thinking? So how might we enhance innovation and innovative thinking in the military? Simple, less Klingon, more Starfleet. For those unfortunate folks who are not Star Trek fans, uh, the Klingons on the left are a very martial culture with a singular mission model focused on war fighting. Their cunning, discipline, resilience, and adherence to effective and long-established warfighting doctrine 
makes them formidable adversaries on today's battlefield. But they're at increasing risk of being disrupted by emerging technology utilized by a more adaptive adversary. On the right, we've got our Starfleet officers. They're an organization whose diversity of experience, skill, and thought run far broader and deeper than the PR photo on this slide. They flexibly adapt their mission model to suit the operating environment, and their most powerful weapon system is iteratively applying the scientific method at Warp Factor 9. Again, for those unfamiliar with Warp Factor 9, uh, that's very high velocity. So why can't we have both? We can. We've done it before. Some historical examples would be the P-51D Mustang. Um, they simply married an excellent aerodynamic wing and frame uh, to the Spitfire Merlin motor, and we had a war winner in less than 102 days. More recently, we had the MC-12 Liberty. They married a Sky, Sky King twin turboprop uh, with an ISR package uh, to provide uh, considerable capability in almost exactly the same period of time. We need to do it again. We need to do it at volume and speed. Innovation is not an individual activity. Individuals can certainly generate exceptional innovative thinking, but delivering tangible deployed innovation is a team of team full contact sport. The world is becoming increasingly complex and less predictable. So if we want to predict the future, the best way to, to approach it is to actually create it. At the Lean Innovation Education Summit last year, three themes emerged. The most innovative and adaptive networks possessed three key ingredients. They had a common innovation language, a common innovation culture, and a common innovation framework. In defense, we already possess our own language, a healthy portion of which is translatable across branch, service, and coalition. Expanding the lexicon to incorporate the language of innovation is achievable. A good example here would be the orders process that is used uh, in New Zealand. Our orders process is similar to that in Australia. It's similar to that of the United States. It is translatable. A common innovation culture is not about technological science, but social science. It is the specific habits and behaviors we want to be modeled by all. My old employer, Jeff Bezos, has a great quote. Become a broken record for a few ideas that matter. Creativity and curiosity have no rank. We cannot afford to contract either out. So we need to think big, but start small and deploy fast. So let's circle back on methodology for a minute. I'm not a gambler, but I would wager that everyone here has heard of Boyd's Oodaloo, lean startup and or design thinking. Perhaps you've heard of all of them, but I would say it's likely that everyone here has heard of at least one of them. But let's go through them uh, each individually. At the top and the center, we've got the, the uh, John Boyd's famous OODA loop. Uh, and if you're looking for an interesting book on that, uh, see Major Brown's uh, book on John Boyd. So OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, act. Bottom right, we have design thinking, uh, where the cycle is empathize, ideate, define, prototype, test, and repeat. Bottom left, which I'm a particular adherent to, is uh, lean startup. Uh, and which is used in the hacking for defense model, build, measure, learn. Um, the number one suggestion I would have here is let's not get hung up on the minutia of their differences. Uh, let's focus on their common DNA. Uh, much like the example I gave of the orders process uh, that is used uh, across NATO nations, across the five eyes, 
while we've got differences amongst them, um, they are understandable to all. And I believe the same thing can be said of this, that um, the key is using a methodology rather than fighting over which methodology we should use. So while recruiting an executive to work at Apple, Steve Jobs once famously said, why join the Navy when you can be a pirate? But in the military, we simply cannot act like pirates when it comes to innovation. We cannot just do whatever we want like pirates. We must operate within our commander's intent. So rather than acting like pirates, we can be privateers. The difference between a pirate and a privateer may be subtle, but it is extremely important in the context of military innovation. Pirates pursue ill-gotten treasure in conflict with an adversary government. Privateers pursue legitimate war prizes in collaboration with a supportive government equipped with a letter of mark. Privateers are legal pirates acting within their commander's intent. Mission command adapted and applied to innovation. You build small and diverse teams on a foundation of trust, understand and implement commander's intent, exercise disciplined initiative to solve the problem, operate within commander's intent, accept calculated risk-taking, create a shared learning environment. So why bother being a pirate when you can be a privateer? A concept we have experimented with on our journey to influence towards innovation is reimagining uh, stealing the letter of mark. It's been described by our U.S. Air Force peers as uh, an historical reference conveying legitimacy with a sense of playful irre irrelevant or irreverence uh, necessary for the culture of innovation to work. Uh, this is just one tool uh, that we have been influencing with uh, to try to create a more innovative environment. Uh, folks at my rank level, uh, we do not have the hierarchical authority to innovate. Uh, we need help, and help could be in the form of a revised version of the letter of mark. Some other commercial examples include Going back to Amazon, uh, Jeff created the Just Do It Award to recognize employees who exemplify two of Amazon's core values, innovation and bias for action. Jeff himself makes the final decision on who receives the award, which is only bestowed twice a year across the entire company and has become one of Amazon's most coveted honors. Uh, I remember back uh, quite some time ago when, when I was with the company, uh, the initial few Just Do It Award shoes uh, came from uh, several famous NBA players. Uh, they were used, ratty old Nikes, and they were very cherished prizes. Uh, at Amazon, that might be the equivalent of a, uh, a Navy Cross, perhaps. So innovation is hard and messy. Not everybody wants to is going to be uh, an innovator or an entrepreneur. But innovation is a numbers game. We need big volume in the funnel to starve what clearly doesn't work and learn from it because we want to be a learning organization and create that feedback function, as well as reinforcing the bold and crazy ideas that do work. So everyone should have the encouragement, safety, and support to share those entrepreneurial and innovative ideas. MIT professor Eric Von Hippel argues effectively that the majority of innovation comes from people that need the innovation. He describes them as lead users and what they do as end user innovation to remove their own pain points. Mid-level leaders often get a lot of flack from their subordinates at the bottom of the hierarchy. 
The term frozen middle is thrown around quite flippantly, describing mid-level leaders as bureaucrats placing posting cycle performance above their people. But it's really an unfair assessment. Um, in War on the Rocks, uh, uh, Pete Newell wrote a great article uh, about where the fault really lies with systems designed to support the organization's existing mission model rather than scouting out um, the new innovative mission models of the future. Perhaps a new role for leaders is to act as uh, a bureaucracy or systems lead scout to actively help their people navigate the bureaucratic labyrinth to help them on their innovation journey as innovation scouts. So in conclusion, our day one is H hour. If history is anything to go by, the next H hour will arrive early and unexpectedly. So we need to think faster and fight different. Uh, three final points really would be in the experiences that I've had over the last couple of years in running uh, short duration courses uh, with a bottom up focus. A couple of things that we've learned is there's a great opportunity for every military across the coalition to activate and leverage their uh, veteran entrepreneurs. So uh, their former service members, their alumni community, um, activating them, inviting them along to help out with any uh, innovation activities is really beneficial. Anecdotally, we found great, great success with this, uh, incredibly useful. And you also have the ability of, of folks that have, they understand how the military works. They also understand how entrepreneurship works. They also have the ability to speak truth to power in a diplomatic way since they are no longer a part of the organization as an active member, but they still feel beholden uh, to helping develop its future. Uh, another point would be uh, this year with what we've gone through with COVID, um, a, a great expression I've heard is that going through COVID, um, what we are experiencing in a month is about one year's worth of development. You know, we are accelerating at an at a even higher rate. Okay, now we get to the quiz answers. Okay, so with the dam busters, the famous dam busters raid on that next slide, um, there were three key innovations that they had there. Uh, the first one was a bomb site. So if we look at the top left side of the screen, the bomb site was designed uh, to use points on the dam's attack that were of a known width and height. So it would provide them with a very innovative way of knowing what the release distance was. If we go to the top right, we can see uh, with the two photos of the aircraft in the air, uh, there's two searchlights that are meeting on the ground. Um, for those unfamiliar with the Lancaster bomber that was used, the Lancaster bomber was designed to fly at 20 plus thousand feet uh, for night attack missions over Germany. The cockpit of it would be more in, would have more in common with a locomotive engine of 100 years ago uh, than a modern combat aircraft. So effectively what they created was to give the pilots the appropriate release altitude. It was like a primitive heads up display. Uh, the pilot had a very high workload. They had enough to worry about uh, trying to maintain height with an altimeter that did not have the accuracy required. All they had to do was keep the two circles together into one circle and they were at the appropriate release altitude. And we go to the bottom and the two photos on the bottom show that the bomb was quite innovative. It was a bomb designed to spin at several hundred RPMs. If 
before it was dropped at the release altitude and distance, and it was designed to skip over the anti-torpedo uh, uh, nets that the Germans had set up. If there was no net set up, it would have been a torpedo attack. With the net set up, they created a bomb that could bounce over the nets, hit the wall, and then roll down the wall underwater, and it would use the dam water to create a tamping, char or a tamping effect and blow the dam. So in 2001, uh, when New Zealand forces deployed to Afghanistan, they had uh, limited space left in the Hercules to deploy downrange. They needed mobility. So rather than coming up with an innovation, they came up with some innovative thought. Uh, uh, they took some adult beverages, which they then used to barter for mobility when they were in theater. Hey, just to really appreciate the opportunity. Um, uh, as, as someone coming from sort of the, the bottom of the hierarchy, uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk to everyone uh, on behalf of my, my, my peers, not just in New Zealand, but uh, across the Five Eyes and coalition that I've had contact with. Um, it may not have been the most uh, academically rigorous presentation, so my apologies uh, for that. But if anybody is uh, working in uh, anything uh, regarding innovation, um, please feel free to reach out. Always happy to help if I can or provide a warm introduction if possible. But thanks again. All right, thank you, Chris. And yeah, again, for anyone in the audience here and for anyone who uh, listening to the YouTube video afterwards, if you want to reach out to Chris Moore, he is on he is on Twitter. At, uh, what's, your, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Innovator HB. Okay, and uh, we can make sure we include that in the notes as well for the video. As always, the Krulak Center, you know, we're the conduit out to these non-resident fellows, so feel free to reach out to us if you want to talk more to any of these individuals as well. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected. We hope you enjoyed this newly adapted episode of the Brewcast. You can view older episodes with their full video content on the Krulak Center YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about our other activities and see our full range of written and media content on The Landing, Marine Corps University's digital PME portal. Check out the show notes for links to all of these, and we'll see you for the next episode.